The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. We were a little out of whack on Monday's show. I thought a bit too much total societal collapse, so we're going to redress the balance today with some jollier, if improbably, topical diversions for our finale. But first, the grim stuff. The fire sale of our civilization continues. Everything must go June the 17th, 2020. I am the god of hellfire, and I bring you fire. The march of the morons continues. Ladies and gentlemen, the senator from Virginia and the 2016 Democrat vice presidential candidate Tim Kaine giving a history lesson on the floor of the United States Senate. The United States didn't inherit slavery from anybody. We created it. It got created by the Virginia General Assembly and the legislatures of other states. It got created by the court systems in colonial America and sense that enforced fugitive slave laws. It was, we created it. The American white man invented slavery because he needed slaves to drag his statue down Main Street and put it on the pedestal on the town green. You may have seen pictures in old books of slaves building the pyramids of Egypt, but that's just fake news, and Google and Facebook will soon be demonetizing any pharaoh who insists on mentioning it. Another totally racy racist statue of Christopher Columbus is coming down. Where's this one located? Let me find the press release. Here it is. Uh, From the president of the college, David Harrison, quote, our students contributed their voices to this discourse around systemic racism, reinforcing the conclusion that the Christopher Columbus statue is not consistent with the values and mission of Columbus State Community College. Wait, Wait a minute. You're Taking down a Columbus statue, but you're keeping the name Columbus State? How's that going to help? How's that going to save you? Where is this Columbus State Community College? Oh, my Lord. Some town called Columbus, Ohio. Come on, President White Racist Harrison. Time to change your name to Black Lives Matter Community College in Black Lives Matterville, Ohio. Breaking news, and this one's a stunner. Rock ribbed Mitch McConnell is okay with renaming U.S. Army bases to appease the mob. If it's appropriate to take another look at these names, uh, I'm personally okay with that, and I am a descendant of a Confederate veteran myself. Whatever uh, is ultimately decided, I don't have a problem with Mitch McConnell is a descendant of a Confederate? No wonder he's so bipartisan. Uh, will he change his name to Mitch McBlack Lives Matter Connell? He's perfectly positioned to reach across the aisle and pass a bipartisan bill agreeing that all statues of Columbus will be laid horizontally around the frontier of that breakaway republic in Seattle to serve as its border wall. So we will have a wall, and if Mexico didn't 
technically pay for it. Columbus worked for Ferdinand and Isabella, who are kind of sort of Hispanic, aren't they? Uh, who's the last man standing in the Western world? He may be a metrosexual globalist dinky boy as delicate as bone china. But unlike the groveling appeasers of the American right, he knows how to draw a line. Je vous le dis très clairement ce soir, mes chers compatriotes. La République n'effacera aucune trace ni aucun nom de son histoire. Elle n'oubliera aucune de ses œuvres. Elle ne déboulonnera pas de statues. For non-francophones, what does that mean? It means this. I want to make it very clear, my dear compatriots. The French Republic will not erase any trace or any name from its history. It will not forget any of its deeds or take down any of its statues. Monsieur Macron has such huge stones he could be his own statue. He grasps the stakes here. For a start, his wife is older than most statues. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. I would love to hear an American president or a Canadian prime minister talk half as butch as that. Or come to that, an Australian premier. There are just six Australian states. Uh, half of them have totally boring names. Western Australia, South Australia, Northeastern Central Australia. Two of them, two of them uh, bear more specific designations, Victoria and Queensland. The former is named after Victoria Beckham and the latter after homosexual sailors under Captain Cook who rebelled against the lack of gay bars on his ship. What? That's not true? Well, a former Green Party legislator and Aboriginal activist, Lydia Thorpe, has found out the truth and wants the state's names changed. Victoria, as you know, was named after Queen Victoria, who ruled the British Empire, including the Australian colonies, until 1901. But Thorpe says, and I quote here, anything that's named after someone who's caused harm or murdered people, that I think we should take their name down. John, run us through this story. It's extraordinary that Victoria could go. Queen Victoria was, was an empress. She was empress of India. She, she ruled over a great empire, the, British, the great British empire, and uh, they see themselves as victims in all that process. So Queensland and Victoria must be renamed Black Lives Matter land and uh, materia. Uh, the First Amendment is being renamed the Black Lives Matter Amendment. Uh, if you thought you had any rights in it, forget it. Tiffany Riley has been removed as principal of Windsor School, a K-12 school in uh, Vermont, eastern Vermont, on the New Hampshire border. Ms. Riley Sin was posting the following on her Facebook page. I firmly believe that Black Lives Matter, but I do not agree with the coercive measures taken to get this point across, some of which are falsified in an attempt to prove a point. While I want to get behind BLM, I do not think people should be made to feel they have to choose black race over human race. While I understand the urgency to feel compelled to advocate for black lives, what about our fellow law enforcement? What about all others who advocate for and demand equity for all? Just because I don't walk around with a BLM sign should not mean I am a racist. Oh, yes, it does, you racist. Her Facebook page includes pictures 
of Miss Riley at the Eternal Flame in Atlanta. The Eternal Flame isn't the uh, chain of blazing Wendy's franchises, but the permanent monument to Martin Luther King in Atlanta. Nevertheless, all six members of her school board claimed to have been, quote, uniformly appalled by her Facebook post and denounced it as ignorance and prejudice that made the school complicit in perpetuating white advantage. Capital W, capital A. It's almost like it's a thing. There's a lot of white advantage in Windsor, Vermont. It's 97.74% white. How many African Americans are there? 0.4%, which boils down to 12 people. Uh, but even in white bread Vermont, you must live a cowed, fearful existence lest you make a fatal misstep by being insufficiently all in on Black Lives Matter supremacism and lose your livelihood. The thugs of the school board who have ruined Tiffany Riley's life are chairperson Elizabeth Burrows, vice chairperson Amy McMullen, and Beth Carter, Chris Garnios, Nancy Pedrick, and Bill Yates. Presumably they're scared too about what might happen to their lives if they don't ruin hers. And for every Tiffany Riley, there are thousands who get the message. Keep your head down. Stick a BLM hashtag on your social media accounts. Welcome the renaming of Columbus, Ohio, Leesburg, Virginia, Madison, Wisconsin, Jefferson, New Hampshire, Washington, Vermont, Whiteville, North Carolina, Churchill, Manitoba, Victoria, Australia, the Caucasus. Do you mind if I quote myself? Uh, I haven't done it in a while, and I enjoy doing it. Uh, from page 198 of my book, America Alone, published 14 years ago. There's an old technique well understood by the smarter bullies. If you want to break a man... Don't attack him head on. Don't brutalize him. Pain and torture can awaken a stubborn resistance in all but the weakest. But just make him slightly uncomfortable. Disrupt his life at the margin and he'll look for the easiest path to renormalization. Incremental surrender is always the easy option. Even incremental surrender at warp speed, statue by statue by statue until there's nothing left. But we are now actually attacking people head on, brutalizing them head on, torturing them head on, uh, as we're doing to small town school teachers in far northern New England. Uh, none, none, most of these victims, not none, but most of these victims are not in the least bit right wing. Most of them are on board with 99% of modish progressivism. But it's still not enough. They have to be attacked head on. They have to be broken. They have to be brutalized. And still, no one speaks up, or very few. The Chinese Communist Party coronavirus is being renamed because it turns out it was named after uh, racists, as the Chinese Communist Party certainly is. Uh, so uh, we're now going to call it the Black Lives Matter Mostly Peaceful Coronavirus. Uh, it's back. Uh, or, as Dr. Fauci says, it never went away. And among the latest victims is Ilan Omar's dad, uh, spare a thought for the Minnesota Congresswoman. It's a tough break to lose your father and your father-in-law on the same day.
Is that joke good enough to get me Twitter banned? I do hope so. Google currently has full legal immunity for anything on its platforms. You don't like a comment on YouTube? Hey, they're not responsible. But Zero Hedge and The Federalist are responsible for third-party comments on their sites. So Google has demonetized Zero Hedge and is denying it any Google ad revenue and is threatening to do the same to The Federalist. This is because an NBC News department with the splendidly Orwellian name of the NBC News Verification Unit, that is NBC News now, they're no longer in the news business, they're in the news verification business. The NBC News Verification Unit used a UK outfit called the Centre for countering digital hate, which is no fan of mine, by the way. The CCDH is basically one guy called Imran Ahmed. That's it. Uh, the NBC quote-unquote journalist Adele Momoko Fraser thanked Mr. Ahmed in a now-deleted tweet for... Well, for doing her job for her. So Imran Ahmed fingers the Federalist to the NBC News Verification Unit, who then lean on Google to demonetize the Federalist. The Federalist is talking tough, but it has, for the moment, taken down its reader comments. You'll notice we have no Google ads at Stein Online. Why? Uh, well, one reason is aesthetic. Uh, they look uh, ugly. Uh, and I don't want to clog up my website with stupid, unwanted advertising that earns me a tiny percentage of what it earns Google. It's the same reason we create no original content on Facebook or Twitter. I want no part of this system, because no matter how rich it makes you, it makes Google and Facebook and Apple even richer. And that's in no conservatives' interest. Why does Mark Levin, a supposed constitutional conservative, uh, write all his original content on his Facebook page? What does making Mark Zuckerberg richer do for the US Constitution? Why does Dennis Prager waste his time and money on a totally incompetent lawyer called Eric M. George? Remind me to do a full show on just how incompetent Eric M. George is, uh, if you're that interested. Uh, waste his, why, does, why does Prager waste his time and money uh, on getting Eric M. George to sue YouTube uh, into, uh, in, into forcing them to like him. As you know, I'm in favour of breaking up the big tech cartel on antitrust grounds before it co-owns everything on the entire planet uh, with selected generals from the Chinese Politburo. But using Google ads and YouTube monetization as a means to advance conservatism is completely self-defeating even by the woeful standards of American conservatism. If the last two weeks have demonstrated nothing else to Americans. It's that the woke Stapo controls everything that matters. The culture, the media, the schools, the corporations, the bureaucracy, the courts, the handful of internet platforms on which the vast majority of the world now relies for its news. If there is still a silent majority, and that's doubtful, if there is still a silent majority, uh, it's, as I said the other day on Rush, uh, the silenced majority. And yet the big voices on the right still desperately, pitifully think they can negotiate their jailers into granting them a little more time in the exercise yard. I'm with the uh, metrosexual Monsieur Macron. Not a single statue, not a single street name. And let's break up up 
the big tech cartel now. Let's have some serious proposals to do that. Evocative essays, scintillating stories, timely transcripts, even satisfying songs. All of these and more live on at steinonline.com for members of the Mark Stein Club. You've heard him on the radio and seen him on TV, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. From the Stein Online back catalog to exclusive access to Stein's new content, membership in the Mark Stein Club is a must-have for fans of America's undocumented anchorman. Tune into Stein's nightly tales for our time. Join the conversation in one of his fortnightly live Clubland Q&As or sit back and take in a Sunday poem. Mark Stein Club members also get advance notice of Stein's live appearances. Join the Mark Stein Club now by heading to www.steinonline.com club. The Mark Stein Club presents The Hundred Years Ago Show. A long-distance wedding, a lynching in Minnesota, and toasted bread that self-ejects? It's June 1920. A hundred years from today. Your World News Update, 600 years after it was first proposed by Pierre Dubois in the reign of French King Philip the Fair. A world court is finally a reality. Judges are meeting at The Hague to plan the new permanent court of international justice, the judicial body of the League of Nations. Perhaps it will put an end to events such as those in Tirana, where in retaliation for last week's assassination in Paris of Esad Pasha, Albania's nominal ruler and the richest Albanian on earth, 330 Italian soldiers captured in the Albanian uprising have been killed. In America, the former Treasury Secretary William Gibbs McAdoo has been long thought to be the favourite. For this year's Democrat presidential nomination, but with the party convention looming, he has announced he will not permit his name to be put forward. Mr. McAdoo is an ardent supporter of prohibition and also of extending Jim Crow segregation laws to the northern states. The Ku Klux Klan, an organization intimately associated with the Democrats, is currently having great success expanding its influence in the north. In Duluth, Minnesota, the John Robinson Circus came to town for just one night, and six of its Negro roustabouts were accused by a white teenager of raping his girlfriend. The doctor says he found no evidence of rape, but a mob seized three of the six men, Elias Clayton, Elmer Jackson and Isaac McGee, from the city jail, then held a kangaroo court, beat them and hanged them from a pole at the corner of 1st Street and 2nd Avenue. Although Indians and other persons have been lynched in Minnesota, this is the first ever lynching of black men in the state. Reactions have been mixed across the bay in Superior, Wisconsin. The acting chief of police has declared we are going to run all idle Negroes out of Superior and they're going to stay out. But in Duluth, a grand jury has been convened 
and has found the Commissioner of Public Safety not competent and the Police Department in need of a thorough overhauling. Also for Minnesota, Charles P. Strike of Minneapolis has filed a patent application for what he describes as a bread toaster with automatic bread ejection. Mr. Strite believes that this bread ejection method will make the double-sided toasting of bread far simpler and more efficient. So would you rather be a colonel with a eagle on your shoulder or a private with a chicken on your knee? Major General John A. Lejeune, lately commander of the U.S. Army's 2nd Division in the World War, has been appointed by President Wilson Commandant of the United States Marine Corps. His first act in his new post was to demote 23 Major Generals and 16 Brigadier Generals from their temporary wartime ranks. Brigadier General Marlborough Churchill, a cryptanalyst who last year founded the so-called Black Chamber of U.S. Army Intelligence has been reduced to his pre-war rank of major. As his name suggests, Marlborough Churchill is a distant kinsman of Britain's Dukes of Marlborough and the famous Churchill family, whose scion Winston Churchill is currently serving as Secretary of State for Air in His Majesty's Government. Three major generals have been demoted by General Lejeune to Colonel including Billy Mitchell, the director of the new Military Aeronautics Division. The other 20 have been reduced to brigadiers. So would you rather be a colonel with a eagle on your shoulder or a private with a chicken on your knee? In other military news, what is believed to be the world record for a so-called long-distance wedding has been set by Miss Mabel Ebert and sailor John R. Wakeman. The bride did things traditionally and was at the First Presbyterian Church in Detroit, but her betrothed was aboard the USS Birmingham, a thousand miles off the coast of California in the Pacific Ocean. Using the etheric waves of wireless radio and the services of both a Presbyterian minister and a Navy chaplain, Miss Ebert and Mr. Wakeman, though far apart, were joined in holy matrimony. Wireless weddings are legal in Michigan. Prince Arthur of Connaught has been appointed Governor-General of South Africa in succession to Viscount Buxton. His Royal Highness is the son of the Duke of Connaught, lately Governor-General of Canada. This is the first time the son of the king's viceroy in one dominion will serve as viceroy in another. But the blues that make me hot and cold and make me sick and shiver And make me want to end it all in the river Are the blues my naughty sweetie gives to And they're the very, very meanest kind of blues Louis in the late 1880s, Dmitry Ivanovsky, a botanist from the University of St. Petersburg, was dispatched to the Ukraine, Bessarabia and the Crimea 
to investigate an unknown disease afflicting tobacco plants. He traced the problem to an extremely tiny, submicroscopic infectious agent capable of permeating porcelain water filters. And thus he discovered that family of pathogens we now know as viruses. Professor Ivanovsky has died at Rostov-on-Don at the age of only 55, but not of a virus. And that's the way of the world, June 1920. A hundred years from today A hundred years from today Oh, you know what this music means. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. On Monday night, we concluded our latest tale for our time, G.K. Chesterton's novel, The Man Who Was Thursday. John Lewis, a first-month founding member of the Mark Stein Club from What Remains of England, writes, First of all, a hearty well done to Mark for his reading. The progressive in the old-fashioned good sense, nature of this novel was such that the unostentatious rendering of each character's voice became ever more essential to understanding the narrative. I hope that makes sense. Yes, it does, and I uh, thank you uh, for that, John. It was a little trickier than it it is in some books. Uh, After having deliberately avoided finding out the ending beforehand, I was struck by how well it came together once the character Gregory made his reappearance, and in my opinion at least his key speech. I will undoubtedly listen to the whole thing again to pick up details missed first time round, largely due to trying to work out what the hell was going on. Uh, It does take a while for the penny to drop on that, John. Take a bow, mine host. You earned your money on this one. That's uh, very generous of you, John. Tales for Our Time is a feature of our club because the men and women who wrote even the potboilers of their time, uh, Conan Doyle, the tragedy of the Carrosco, Anthony Hope, the prisoner of Zenta, Baroness Ortsy, the Scarlet Pimpernel, uh, John Buchan, the 39 Steps were nevertheless, they were nevertheless serious uh, in a way that our age is not. And that is why I encourage you to support people like uh, Phelan McAleer and Anne McElhenney, who produce plays and films, because they understand that if you cede 100% of the cultural space, as so-called conservatives have done, you're screwed. Right now, Black Lives Matter is more popular than either the Republican or Democrat parties. Why is that? Because every movie star you like, every pop star you like, every clothes store you go to, every coffee shop you get a decaf latte in, all of them support Black Lives Matter. I am near to despair at the march of the morons, at the most stupid know-nothing revolution in the history of the planet. The radicalized masses of revolutionary France were the sans-culottes, men without knee breeches, the silken knee breeches of the ruling class. Our revolutionaries are sans-connaissance, without knowledge, because as I wrote in After America a decade ago, the biggest structural defect in our society is the education system, which uh, conservative Inc. ceded to leftist social engineers uh, two generations ago. So now know-nothing students are being graduated by know-nothing professors. 
As I said to Tucker a few days ago, you can't have a culture war when one side isn't even on the battlefield. And where this goes uh, has been greatly exercising me, and I think we shall touch on it, we shall explore it in our very next tale for our time, which will be coming up later this month. And now, Stein Online presents Mark Stein's Song of the Week. I thought this week I'd pick a couple of songs by way of illustration as to how news seeps into my brain. Usually the way it works is that something happens and some tangentially related fragment of lyric lodges in my head. For example, for the last fortnight or so, every time I switch on the TV, there are people vandalising and tearing down statues all over the place, which makes me think of a particular song uh, which not only mentions a statue, but rhymes it too, which is trickier than you think, which is why this is the only rhyme statuary in the standard songbook. Here's Helen Forrest with the Artie Shaw Band, and stay alert for that killer couplet. He's just my bill. He's not the type at all. You'd meet him on the street and never notice him. His form and face, his manly grace, is not the kind that you would find in a statue. And I can't explain, it's surely not his brain that makes me thrill. I love him because he's wonderful, because he's just my bill. His form and face, his manly grace, is not the kind that you would find in a statue. Who wrote those words? Well, Pelham Grenville Woodhouse did. That's right, the same P.G. Woodhouse who gave us Bertie Wooster and his valet Jeeves and Lord Emsworth and the Empress of Blandings. The same P.G. Woodhouse also gave us that lovely song. He wrote it with... I think as the years go by, my very favourite popular song composer, Jerome Kahn, for a forgotten show of 1918, Oh Lady Lady. Uh, But it didn't become a hit until a decade later when Helen Morgan hopped up on the piano to sing it in Showboat. Now, fellas, I'd like to do a song for all of you that's a great favourite of mine. I hope you like it too, my bill. To be honest, it's such a rueful, tender song. I preferred a little less peppy than Miss Forrest's version, his Dinah Shaw in 1943. Oh, no, no, no! She blew the rhyme! She sang, not the kind that you would find in a statue. (laughs) That you and statue is a musical comedy rhyme, and that means that careless singers will sometimes mangle. It's such a shame, because that's otherwise a lovely reading by Dinah. So here she is, exactly 40 years later, 1983. Uh, She sung that song all her life, 
1983 on stage at the Palace Theatre on Broadway and doing full justice to that rhyme. Back in 1918, there was a second chorus that never made it into the hit showboat version. And the equivalent bit to that, uh, that you statue couplet ran, um, how's it going? Um, a motor car, he cannot steer. And it seems clear, whenever he dances, his partner takes chances. And upon hearing those words, Ira Gershwin said, now that's a lyric. But here's my favourite bit of the song, because it seems to me in its perfect union of words and music and the casual bewilderment of its sentiment to embody perfectly the 20th century uh, vernacular love song uh, at its most humane. I love him because he's, I don't know. And yet to be upon his knees so comfy and roomy seems natural to me and i can't explain it's surely not his brain that makes me Because he's, I don't know, because he's just my Jerome Kahn and P.G. Woodhouse. So that's what I hear when I switch on the TV and see toppled statuary. But the other day, I switched on the TV and saw Atlanta burning. And I'm not a big Civil War buff, because if I was, the music that would pop up would be marching through Georgia. Hurrah, hurrah, we bring the jubilee. Hurrah, hurrah, the flag the free. I said I'm not a big Civil War buff. So enough with the marching through Georgia. Uh, my, uh, my tastes are rather more delicate. Uh, so instead what popped up was a charming duet about the main drag in Atlanta and indeed for Gone with the Wind fans, the very street Margaret Mitchell was crossing when she was hit and killed by a speeding car in 1949. Here, uh, rather less fatally, 
uh, perambulating that street are Rosemary Clooney and Frank Sinatra. Say, Frank, you want to take a walk? Well, sure, sweetie. Just pick a street. Piccadilly Circus. Oh, I'd rather not. Champs-Élysées? Mais non. Times Square? Nah. Cause there's nothing can compare with strolling along Peachtree Street with my baby on my arm. I've got the sweetest peach in Georgia And she just came off the farm Strolling along Peachtree Street I'm happy as can be I've got to thank the state of Georgia For my baby's family tree Everybody in Atlanta Knows what a treasure I found I'm gonna set my gem Upon the main stem We spread a lot of little peaches all around I feel like a new millionaire When I'm walking with my charm Strolling along Peachtree Street With baby on my arm Who wrote that song? Frank Sinatra did in 1950 with a couple of fellas called Lenny Mason and Jimmy Saunders. That's one of just seven songs he has his name on. So one couldn't exactly hail him as a singer-songwriter, but we featured a couple of them over the years because they're awfully good. I'm thinking of this love of mine and I'm a fool to want you. Uh, This isn't in that league, but it's... Very sweet. You like Peachtree Street, Frank? Oh, I love the place, but where are the peach trees? We'll have to go back a few years for Well, that. then let's turn around. Can't you see me in a hoop skirt strolling along Peachtree Street with a colonel on my arm? And I can tell that yours from Georgia because you uh, got that uh, Georgia charm. Frank Sings Frank with a bit of help from Rosie. Lovely song to warble of an evening if you're perambulating past a flaming Wendy's. I'm sorry if you prefer marching through Georgia to strolling along Peachtree Street, but by way of consolation. Georgia. Georgia. The whole day Just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind Georgia on my mind Who wrote that song? Well, it was a guy called Stu Gorell. And while P.G. Woodhouse wrote hundreds of songs and Frank Sinatra wrote seven songs, Stu Gorell wrote just the one, his first and last song. He never tried his hand at a second because he became a rather successful banker and he didn't need to. But back in 1930, he happened to be Hoagie Carmichael's roommate. And one night at a party, the saxophonist Frankie Trumbar suggested they write a number about Georgia, uh, Hoagie didn't think it was such a great idea and asked Frankie how he thought the song should go, so he gave them the first two words. Georgia, Georgia. And Stu Gorell and Hoagie Carmichael stayed up all night until the song was finished. The first record was made shortly thereafter, September 15th, 1930, and what a band! 
Eddie Lang guitar, Charles Winters on bass, Joe Venuti violin, Jimmy Dorsey clarinet, Hoagie's great friend, Big Spiderbeck on cornet, in what would prove to be his very last recording session. And of course, the composer himself. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just a little song keeps Georgia on my mind, Georgia on my mind, Georgia, Georgia, just a song of you. Comes as sweet and clear as moonlight through the pines. Other arms reach out to me, other eyes smile tenderly. Still in peaceful dreams I see the road leads back to you, my Georgia. My Georgia, no peace I find, just a little song keeps Georgia on my mind. Hoagie Carmichael's original record of Georgia on my mind. 30 years later, Ray Charles transformed it with a whole lot more ache and yearning in it. And that's a deservedly famous record, but you've all heard it before. Uh, thanks to Ray Charles, these days everybody does Georgia. Uh, here uh, is the most recent version I've come across. This first one, I'll give you a clue, it was written by my mother's favorite composer, Hoagy Carmichael. I'm gonna play it for you. It goes like this from just a few months ago, before Corona lockdown killed all live musical performance, on stage for his farewell tour, the celebrated rock guitarist, Peter Frampton.
Frampton, Georgia On My Mind by Stu Gorell and Hoagie Carmichael. Yeah, I know we had a Hoagie song last week for Hong Kong and now we've got another for Georgia, but it's not my fault if his entire catalogue is ripped from today's headlines. And I do sometimes get the impression that deep down, every middle-aged rocker wants to be Hoagie Carmichael. As for Stu Gorell, his mother liked the song, but after looking over the sheet music, she asked her son, what is Georgia, a girl or a state? He never answered, he left it ambiguous, uh, even to his dear old mom, but it has been ever since 1979, the official state song of Georgia. That'll do it for today's show. Do check out our Song of the Week in Essay form right here at Stein Online every Sunday evening. Uh, if you rummage through the archive, you'll find, for example, my piece on Georgia On My Mind with lots more details about the song and its birth. You can read more about Frank Sinatra's songwriting career in my Sinatra Century series from five years ago. And you can hear more songs by P.G. Woodhouse and Jerome Kern in a one-hour audio special uh, you can listen to on our music homepage. I think that's uh, steinonline.com slash music. And on the rotator at the top, you should see a picture of Plum and his missus and their dog. Peter Frampton and his guitar will take us out. Stay safe, stay free. for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved. Georgia!